Today is uh, part three of our series on margin, and uh, if you have a Bible this morning, you want to turn to Proverbs chapter 21, that's where we're going to start out this morning again, Proverbs chapter 21. As you're doing that, let me ask you a quick question. How many of you ever stress out about money? Put your hand up nice and high, stress out about money. Now keep your hands up, keep your hands up. What I want you to do is look around as your hands are up, look around, look around, look around. Notice like everybody's hand is up here this morning. See, what I wanted you to see is this is a normal part of our society. But what we've been learning during this series is we don't want to be normal. We don't want to be normal. We don't want to be like everybody else. Because in our society, normal when it comes to finances is living paycheck to paycheck. Normal when it comes to finances is having monthly payments. Normal in our society is having credit card debt. Normal in our society is having tension and fights over your finances. Normal is having absolutely zero margin. So we've got to learn to hate normal because normal just simply isn't working. We've got to get some margin in our finances just in the same way we've looked at we need to get margin in other areas of our lives. Now, in case you haven't been with us for the past couple of weeks, let me just define what margin is. This is the definition we've been using. Margin is the amount that is left over beyond what is actually needed. It's extra. It's what's in reserve. It's extra. So, if you make $3,000 a month and you have $2,500 in bills, how much margin does that leave you? $500, right. Did you know that only 7% of Americans actually live with any margin in their finances? 7% that actually save more money each month than what they earn. 30% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. That means that if they make $3,000 a month, they're spending $3,000 a month, which means they have how much margin? Zero, right. Now, if you've been following along here so far with me with the numbers, 7% actually have margin, 30% have zero margin, which means that 63% of Americans are actually spending more money each and every month than what they actually make. It's not that they just don't have margin. They don't have any margin. I mean, they've gone beyond margin. Now, out of those numbers, 7%, 30%, 63%, what's the larger number? What's normal in our society, the 63%. People that are spending more money each and every month than what they actually earn. Here's the sad thing about that. A study was done of people that spend more than what they make. 90% of them don't even realize they're doing it. 90% figure, as long as I can make the monthly payments, I must be all right. Again, we've got to learn to hate normal because normal just simply isn't working. Got to build in some margin. And here's why you want to have some margin in your finances. A couple advantages. You have less stress. How many of you want less stress when it comes to your finances? Yeah. If you build margin in, guess what you'll be able to do? If you see somebody that's in need or a ministry that's in need, you're going to be able to give to them and give freely, give generously. How many of you like to be able to give a little bit more generously when you see needs around you? Yeah, sure we would. Margin means that 
You're going to be able to hire somebody to give you some time margin. We talked last week about time and how you need to have margin in your schedule. Guess what margin in your finances does? It allows you to say, you know what? I'm hiring somebody to clean my house. I'm hiring somebody to mow my lawn. I'm not doing it. I got Evan that does my lawn. I pay him. I pay him to come over and do my lawn. Why? Because I don't want to do it. I've got margin in my finances. Him doing it gives me an extra hour because that's about how long it takes you, right? It gives me an extra hour that I don't have to do that. Guess what? It gives him margin in finances because he's just a kid. <laughs> he blows it. I'm sure he does. <laughs> he tries to, yeah. But see, when, when you have margin, you can, you can hire people to do the things that, and quite frankly, I just don't want to mow the grass. All right? <laughs> so <laughs> even if I didn't have margin, I'd probably still hire, hire him. But here's the thing. When you, when you have margin... You don't have the fights. You don't have the tension. You don't have the the stress. Margin allows you the ability to live completely debt-free. Margin allows you to, when something breaks, not freak out about it and go, oh no, how in the world are we ever going to pay for this? Margin allows you to think about your future when you're going to get older and you're going to retire and not stress out about it, not worry about it, because you know that you've saved up, you've got the margin built in for that. How many of you say, man, all that sounds good. I want, I want to have some margin in my finances. Yeah. Well, here's the good news. Not only does God want that for you, but God actually gives us instructions on how to do that. That's how awesome a God is. That's how great his word is. He actually thought, man, they're probably going to stress out about this thing called money, so I better give them some instructions of how to handle it. So again, if you've got your Bible, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20, we read this. God says the wise man does what? The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. Now, I know some of you go, I don't like to read the Bible because it doesn't make any sense to me. Well, there's probably some verses and some passages that don't make any sense, but does it get any clearer than that? What's it say? The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. Again, that is so easy to understand. It's not easy to apply, but it's easy to understand. Wise men, they save. Foolish people, they spend. They live paycheck to paycheck. They have credit card debt. They have car debt. They just rack it all up. Now, what I want you to notice about this is that God says, look, it's the wise man who saves for the future. He doesn't say that wealthy people save for the future. He doesn't say those of you that have two income households save for the future. He doesn't say those of you that make six figures per year are able to save for the future. He says, no, wise people save for the future. Do you have to have a certain amount of income to be wise? No. So it's not about your income level. It's are you going to be wise or are you going to be foolish? You have a choice to make here. And I pray that you're going to choose to be wise. I pray that you're going to be like the wise man here. The wise man saves for the future. So there's a wise way to handle money. There's a foolish way to handle money. Our job is to discover, okay, well, what's the wise way? And again, God in his graciousness has given us the instruction of how to go about doing that. I shared with you before that one of my top five favorite books of all time, obviously the Bible's number one, but in my top five is a book called The Millionaire Next Door. Anybody ever read that book before, The Millionaire Next Door? A couple people? Okay. 
Awesome, awesome book. What they did was these couple guys, they wanted to find out, all right, what makes a millionaire? What are their thoughts? What are their habits? What drives them? What did they do? What did they do to become millionaires? And when we're talking millionaires, I'm not just talking about like you have a million dollars in assets. We're talking like that you actually have a million dollars in net worth. You understand the difference, right? Assets minus any liabilities you have, that's your net. That's, that's what a millionaire is. Okay? They wanted to figure out, okay, what do these people do? So they went out into the big neighborhoods, the people that had, you know, the, the big houses and the fancy cars and all that kind of stuff, and they started going around and they were surveying these people, and what they found was they were broke. They had the big house, they had the fancy car, they were wearing the nice designer clothes, they had the gold watch and everything, but guess what? They had spent all their money on that stuff. They were in debt. So they looked like they were rich. They looked like they should be millionaires, but they actually weren't. So they said, okay, well, who are the millionaires then? And so they started to go into neighborhoods just like yours and just like mine. And what they discovered is what they entitled the book then, The Millionaire Next Door. That the average millionaire in the United States is a plumber, is a truck driver, is a secretary, is a school teacher. Just average, ordinary people. In fact, in the book, they said people with dull and boring jobs. That's the millionaires. But what these millionaires discovered was this going to live in a house a little smaller than what I actually probably would like. going to drive a used car. I'm going to not dress like a slob, but I'm going to not have the latest and greatest of fashions and stuff. Not going to be one of these people like this past week that slept out in front of the Apple store so I can have the new iPhone 6. I'm okay with a couple generations in the past of technology. And so they're not stingy, but what they learned to do was to make money, but then not spend as much as what they make. And then they saved. And over time, through the miracle of compounding interest, these people became millionaires. Again, the millionaire next door. Ordinary people that made a very wise decision. Why? Because wise men do what? They save for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. The millionaire next door has learned to be content. And the Apostle Paul in Scripture, he's writing to his young protege, a guy by the name of Timothy. And he's talking about this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Paul says, Godliness with contentment is what? It's great gain. Godliness with contentment is Great gain. Notice Paul here doesn't say it's okay gain. He doesn't say, eh, you know, if you happen to be content. Eh. No, he says, man, godliness with contentment is great gain. In other words, when you learn to be content, this is a huge win in your life. When you learn how to save, man, this is going to be big. This is a really, really big deal. Learn how to be content. He goes on to say in verses 7 and 8, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. I love this. In just verses 6, 7, and 8 here, 
Paul basically just reiterated what I've said to you so far this morning. That you've got to learn to be content. You can't spend every single dollar that you make. You've got to have some margin in your finances. Now, we learned about the wise man, and, and Paul just talks about that here. But we've also been talking about the foolish man. The foolish man spends whatever he can get. The foolish man isn't content with what he has. And so Paul goes on and he addresses that. Verse 9. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the what? For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Let me stop there real quick. One of the, mis- one of the most misquoted scriptures is this one right here. A lot of people say, oh man, money is the root of all evil. No, 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 that isn't what it said. It's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. Paul goes on, he says, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. What are the griefs that we see in our society? Debt, worry, stress, tension, fighting. When money becomes our all-consuming desire, when that's all we're going after is more and more and more and more, Paul says here, it's a trap. It's going to lead to your destruction. It's going to lead to your ruin. And you're going to be pierced with many griefs. So the question is this. Why is it that people trade margin, which brings flexibility, brings security, it brings peace? Why do we trade all that for material things that just simply won't last? Why do we trade that peace for the pursuit of things that are going to break, that are going to wear out, that aren't going to be trendy anymore, that could possibly get stolen? Why do we trade margin for stuff? The answer is quite simple. Put it there on your outline. See, we've bought into a lie, and the lie is this. Our culture lies to us and has convinced us that the definition of happiness is more than I currently have. That's what your neighbors are telling you. That's what your friends are telling you. That's what the world is telling you. You see it on TV. You see it in the movies that if you just have more, then you'll be happy. Just a little bit more. You'll have joy. You'll have happiness. But it simply isn't true. Our culture says, look, you... You deserve it. Even if you can't afford it, you deserve it. It's going to make you happy. So just put it on the credit card. You know, it's only going to be 17 payments of $9.99 per month. And you'll be happy. Here's the deal. We buy those things, and yeah, maybe we're happy for a day. Or a week. Maybe even a year. But ultimately it wears out, it breaks down, it gets lost, it gets stolen. Now you're not happy anymore. Or they come out with the next iteration of it. And suddenly that phone or that gaming console or that computer or whatever it is, that car that you have that you once thought was so great and it was going to bring you happiness, now it's like I'm not so happy with it anymore because there's something new, shiny or brighter that's out there. And you're not content. 
And so what do you do? Instead of being like the wise man and saying, I'm going to be content and I'm going to save my money, we go out and we foolishly spend whatever we get. All in the pursuit of being happy. But let me remind you of something I've said to you before. Think about famous athletes, movie stars, singers that have millions and millions and millions of dollars. But yet they end up committing suicide. To the world, it looks like they have it all. They they could buy anything that they wanted, but they still weren't happy. Why? Because money doesn't bring happiness to your life. That is not where your joy is to come from. That's not where your peace is to come from. That's not where your contentment is to come from. So it's not about having the big fancy house and the car and the watch and the the smartphone and all that. It's not about that. That's not going to make you happy. It just simply isn't. Now, as I've been talking about this, you may be like, you know, I've got more than what he's talking about, or I've got less than what he's, got, you know, what he's been talking about. But if you're really, really honest with yourself, I bet you would admit this, that the pressure to maintain what you currently have and the pressure to get more than you currently have is a huge driving force in your life, isn't it? And either you're like constantly working because I've got to get more and more and more money because I need to get more and more and more stuff, or you're stressed out because you just keep racking up these big credit card bills. And you've got the big car payment and the big house payment, and you've got all these payments, and it's stressing you out. You're miserable. You're not happy. Now, a lot of people come to this conclusion. Well, Gilbert, if I just made a little bit more money, then all my problems would be solved. Look at your outline. Here's what I put for you. For most Americans, it's not an income problem. It's a lifestyle problem. That's the big issue. Not your income. It's your lifestyle. Let me illustrate it for you this way. If you make $20,000 a year and you spend $20,000 a year, how much margin do you have? Zero, right. So you think, oh, you know what? I'm stressed out. I have zero margin. If I just made $30,000 a year then all my problems are going to be taken care of. No, they're not. You know why? Because, right, you're just going to spend $30,000 per year. When incomes increase, our lifestyles tend to increase as well. Instead of being smart and saying, oh, look, now I actually do have some margin. I could still live a $20,000 a year uh, lifestyle, but now I'm actually getting $30,000, and I'll take that $10,000, I'll set it aside, I'll save it for the future. No, what do we do? We say, oh, well, now I can buy this and I can buy that. And all of a sudden, our $30,000 a year that we're making, we're spending $30,000. And guess how much margin we have? Zero. See, it's not about making more income. I already shared with you that the, the book, The Millionaire Next Door, what they found was people with these incredible incomes, six-figure and seven-figure incomes, most of them are spending all of it. And let me just say this. They're a lot more stressed out about money than you are. And they're making a lot more than you are. Here's how I know that. If you make $20,000 a year and you lose your job, how much money do you have to come up with to continue to live? Probably about $20,000, right? If that's what you've been spending. You've got $20,000 in expenses. If you're a millionaire and you lose your job and you've been spending all of it, 
How much money do you have to come up with now? A million dollars. So see, the more income you make, the more stress you're going to have if you don't learn to put some margin into your finances. So the key is to curb your lifestyle. Learn to be content with what you have. Again, this isn't an income problem. This is a lifestyle problem. And here's the thing. Lifestyle problems, the root of a lifestyle problem is a spiritual problem. When your lifestyle isn't the way it needs to be, there's a spiritual connotation to that. Jesus actually talks about this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your what? There your heart will be also. Basically, wherever you spend your money, your heart is right closely behind it. I've shared this with you before. If I came over to your house, within 10 minutes, I could give you a really, really good indicator of how you're doing spiritually if you would just let me look at two things. One would be your calendar. The other would be your checkbook or your bank statement or your credit card statement. Just those two things, I could tell you a lot about your spirituality, how deep your faith is. Because, see, how we spend our time and what we spend our money on says a whole lot about us. It's what we're consumed with. Did you know that the average American Christian, not just average American, but average American Christian, only gives 2% of their income back to their church? Now, God commands 10%. So we're not even like meeting the the threshold of the commandment, much less going above and beyond the 10% to being actually giving and and becoming generous. The average American, 2%. That means 2% is going to God, 98% is going to the world. Where's the heart at? For where your treasure is that, there your heart will be as well. Now, today's message isn't about giving. This is about margin. But what I want to say to you is, you know what? It's hard to give if you have no margin. It's hard to be generous if you have absolutely no margin. So what I want to do as we start to wrap up here this morning is real quickly give you three principles that will help get to the root of this spiritual problem. A couple things you can apply to your life to hopefully get some margin in your finances. So if you're taking notes, number one is this. I must put God first in my finances. God has to be first. God, what do you want me to do with my finances? What does your word have to say about finances? And we've looked at this before. It actually would say this. None of it is your finances. It's all his. You're just to be a manager of his stuff. He owns 100% of everything you have. It's not your money. It's not your house. It's not your car. It's not your clothes. You don't have anything. It's all his. He says, you be a good manager of it. Because I'm going to hold you accountable how you did in management. 
And he says, you know what? The way you truly prove to me that you understand that it's my stuff and not your stuff is he says, I want you to return back to me the first 10% of your income. Now, again, we've talked a lot about tithing around here in the past couple years, and I've done whole messages on it, that we've done series on finances, so I don't want to get into it a whole lot. But for those of you that may not be familiar with it, let me real quick read a scripture to you. In Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 to 10, we read this. God speaking, he says, you people are robbing me, you're God. And here you are asking, how are we robbing you? God says, you're robbing me of the offerings and of the what? Of the 10% that belongs to me. That's why your whole nation is under a curse. I am the Lord all-powerful, and I challenge you to put me to the test. Bring the entire 10% into the storehouse so that there will be food in my house. Where's God's house at? Where's God's house? Yeah, technically, uh, we are God's temple now, our, our bodies. But where are we to gather together? In church, right? That's his house. He says, bring it into my house. And then I will open up the windows of heaven and flood you with blessing after blessing. This is the only time in all of Scripture God says you can test me with something. Nothing else. Think of all the things that you deal with in life. And you'd be like, man, I wish I could test God in it. God says, no, no, no. The only thing you can test me in is this area of money and this thing called the tithe. Tithe simply means 10%. He says, return back to me what is rightfully mine. Give me that 10%. And I've shared this before as well. Here's what's so cool. God's math and our math are completely different. Because God says, look, if you'll give me that 10%, I will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you, you won't even have room enough to contain it all. But if you keep all 100% for yourself, your finances are going to be under a curse. Look at your outline there. Here's how I put it. 90% of your income with God's blessing on it is greater than 100% of your income with God's curse on it. That's how God's math and our math are different. To God, 90% is greater than 100%. Again, 90% of your income with God's blessing on it is greater than 100% of your income with God's curse on it. Now, I know some of you are going, but Gilbert, I don't have money to tithe. I don't know. Again, that's not the issue. What you don't have is the faith to tithe. This is God's word to us. And God says, when you do this, you can test me in this area. Test me. He says, and see if I don't throw open those floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you. And that's one of the reasons we do a thing around here called the 90-Day Tithe Challenge. If you're not currently tithing and you're interested in trying it and, and exercising your faith in this way, we actually do a thing here which will give you a 90-day money-back guarantee because we so believe that God is not a liar, that his word is true, that we say to you, look, and there's a little contract we signed, You tithe for 90 days, and if at the end of 90 days you say, you know what, God didn't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out blessing on me, guess what? We'll give you every single dollar back. Now, I've been doing the tithe, how long have I been doing a tithe challenge? Since Chambersburg, I guess, right? So almost 10 years. Had dozens of people have taken me up on it over the years. Guess how many people have asked for their money back? Zero. Why? I don't think it's a pride thing. 
It's because I keep hearing story after story after story from people going, you're not going to believe what God did. Now, listen, we don't give in order to get. That is not, you know, this isn't a get-rich-quick scheme type thing, right? This is an exercise of your faith. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is going to be as well. And so when we do this simple thing, this tithing thing, and we give that money to him, God says, ah, now I fully have their heart. And now I can start blessing them in ways they never thought that they could be blessed. And so uh, if you're interested in that, let me know. Real quick, one other thing that, that tithing does is it will break the power of money. It breaks the power of materialism. It breaks the power of consumerism in your life, which is what we've been talking about here. We need to learn how to be content. So, again, first thing you need to do is put God first in your finances. Number two, then, I must learn to be content with what I've got. Pray and say, you know what, God? Show me just how blessed I truly am today. Learn how to be content and Here's the thing. If you woke up this morning and you had a roof over your head, you are rich. If you woke up today and you were in a bed, you're doing way better than most people in the world. If you can go to your refrigerator and have options of different foods to choose from, you're rich. If you went to your closet this morning and you had one, more than one outfit to choose from, you're rich. In fact, did you know that if you make even just minimum wage in the United States, that puts you in the top 2% of the world's wealthiest people? We as Americans are rich beyond belief. It's not an income problem. It's a lifestyle problem. We've got to learn to be content with what we have. We can't constantly be in the pursuit of just more and more and more and more stuff. This isn't about keeping up with the Joneses. Remember, the Joneses are broke. All right? Let's just be honest. They're broke. You don't want to be normal. You don't want to keep up with them because they're leading you the wrong way. Be wise, not foolish. And again, you know, contentment when it comes to money is realizing that money isn't what brings me peace. Money isn't what brings me joy. That's Jesus' job. That's why we have a relationship with him, so that he can provide those things for us. We need to be learned to, to be content with that. Proverbs 15.6 says this, or uh, 15.16, I should say, says this. Better a little with reverence for God than great treasure and trouble with it. Better a small car. Or a used car, I should say. Better a, a small house. Better a couple generations back of technology, Scripture says here. Better no debt. But yet you have a, a great love for God. A great relationship with Him. Where maybe in the world's eyes you look poor, but in God's eyes you're extremely rich. Scripture says, that's better. You're going, but Gilbert, more money is better. No, we talked about that before in a series called Better, right? Remember what I said? Better is better. And this right here says that better is a little with reverence for God than having a bunch of stuff. Earlier we read that godliness with contentment was great gain. Not a little gain, not okay gain, but great gain. 
Learn to be content. Number three, I must appreciate it when I end up with more of what really matters. Yet of the world, maybe sometimes it's going to appear like you're poor or you're lacking in some way, but we can't be concerned about that because, again, what we need to be most concerned about is what's happening to me spiritually, not what's happening to me materially or what's happening to me physically. Proverbs 8, 18 to 19, we read, Riches and honor are mine to give. So are wealth and lasting success, but I give, but what I give is better than the finest gold, better than the purest silver. God's speaking in here, and he's really he's talking about wisdom. He says, having wisdom, that, that's so much better than anything that the world can give you, anything you can go out and buy. Relationship with Jesus, that's better. It's just simply better. Having time margin, having money margin, in order to be able to spend time with your family members and your friends. Man, that makes you rich in relationships. I'd much rather be rich in relationships than rich materially. It's better. Margin allows you to learn to not just be a consumer, but to become a a contributor. That's what really matters. In the same way that relationships matter, being a, a giver and not a taker Man, that that matters. That's so much better. You know, I've never once like cried at somebody going, "Man, you won't believe it all." Praise God, I went to Kohl's and I was going to pick up, you know, this pair of boots or this outfit or whatever. And oh, I found a thirty percent coupon on the floor and I got thirty percent off. Oh, glory to God in the highest peace on earth and goodwill to all men. <laughs> I've never cried at a story like that. I mean, it's cool that it happened, and, you know, maybe God put it there. Maybe it was just a weird coincidence. You know, the stories I cry at is people that they sacrifice greatly of their time. They sacrifice greatly of their finances in order to give and give and give and make an impact on other people's lives. Those are the stories that move us. See, that's what matters. It's making a difference with your life. Not just hoarding a bunch of stuff. Making a difference. So, again, appreciate it when you wind up with the things that really, really matter. But you can't do any of that unless you have some margin. So remember, this is not an income problem. This is a what? It's a lifestyle problem. So we've got to put God first. We've got to learn to be content. And we've got to live our lives in a way that's wise, that will do the things that really matter. The wise man, he saves for the future. The foolish man spends whatever he gets. The foolish man has no margin. Don't be a fool. Let's pray. Father, I know I probably say the same thing every week, but it just so blows my mind how much wisdom your word has. And that you didn't just put us here on planet Earth to just aimlessly wander through life, but you've actually given us this wealth of information in this book called the Bible. And so, Lord, thank you so much 
that you gave us your word and that we have the ability to, to read it in our own language and if we're wise, apply it to our lives. And so, Lord, when it comes to this whole area of, of money, this area that you said is the most important thing, you knew it was the number one competitor that you were going to have for our hearts. Lord, help us to be wise. Help us to even memorize that scripture that the wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. And Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to be convicted the next time we go to slap something down on the credit card that we know we can't afford this. Help us to be convicted the next time that we go to, to buy something just because, well, my friend just got one or my neighbors just got one. Lord, help us to be convicted any time that, that we just see stuff and we covet it because, Lord, we know that that's one of the big ten that we are not to covet. We're not to sin against you in that way. So, Lord, help us to have contentment and help us to honor you by giving back to you what you've so graciously entrusted to us. And Lord, you thankfully didn't ask for 90%. You didn't ask for 50%. You said, just give me that 10%. Lord, I thank you that that's a decision that Lisa and I made many, many, many years ago. And it was scary, but I did it anyway. And you have blessed us beyond our wildest dreams. You've allowed us to have margin for many, many years now. And we have a peace about finances that, Lord, I wish everybody could experience. Lord, even though people may have made mistakes in the past with their finances, nobody's beyond hope. Nobody's beyond a, a fresh start. And so, Lord, I, I pray that nobody would be overwhelmed today with the thought of getting margin, but they'd say, you know what, I'm just going to take a next step, whatever that may be. And Lord, just help them keep putting one foot in front of the other financially. And Lord, help them to be able to look back one day and say, right there in that message in 2015, that's when I made the decision that my finances weren't going to be normal any longer. But I was going to be different. I was going to get the margin so I could have peace for myself, so I could have a, a good future, and so I could be radically generous with the people that are around me, other ministries, my church. Lord, thank you for those testimonies that we'll hear in the coming weeks and years and decades. I thank you that we are rich because of you. Maybe not materially, but rich because of your love and your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Jesus, for offering that to us. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.